Welcome to the Horror Hour. My name is Yutaka. Um, this is a place where we discuss, debate, and disagree on all things horror. I've got my host, George, with me, co-host. Hello. And then we have a special guest host, um, Jennifer Reeder. Hello. Who recently just had their release, uh, Holy Hell, which was part of the anthology series VHS 94 released. Um, so first off, how does it feel to have the biggest premiere ever on Shutter? Uh, I mean, that feels kind of bonkers. I mean, honestly, I know that there are, um, you know, super fans and kind of super haters, you know, of the oh, entire yeah. VHS franchise. Um, but uh, I didn't, I really did not expect that it would be kind of, you know, um, embraced, um, you know, by, by, by so many people, you know, launching off of Shutter the way that it did. And it also is like, you know, um, certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and it was yeah. New York Times critics pick. I mean, just a kind of, um, I don't, honestly, I don't think that anybody on the team sort of saw that coming, even the, the producers who sort of had hoped that people would, you know, anticipate a new VHS and, you know, appreciate this iteration of it. But I think that everyone, um, we're all on a, a kind of a group text. And I think that the, the tone of the group text when all that information was coming out was just like jaws hanging open, like, how did this happen? It's it's well deserved. Um, just we've already spoken, or I've spoken with Simon, and I mean, I'm jealous that I didn't get to see this on the big screen. This was yeah. just George and I. We love this movie. This love was that. just so we're probably super fans, and I don't get the super haters on this one because it's just universally it's loved, in my opinion. So <laughs> oh, that's good to know. I mean, you know, I think that um, that. I mean, I really love it too. And I think that, um, that it is, you know, it, it is, um, it's sort of like taken what has been, I think, beloved of the previous VHSs and sort of like amps it up, you know? And oh, I think yeah. that the inclusion of two female writer and directors, um, I think that, you know, Timo's section um, this time around, you know, really kind of re redefines what's possible in the found footage format so to say um i mean i think that it's always you know the, the reception to the wraparound is always kind of polarizing you know i knew this going into it i was told multiple times like the wraparound is hard to do and nope you know pe nobody likes the wraparound but you know i was up for the challenge and um you know i'm just happy to be you know part of the the vhs family at this point and in particular you know this iteration because i also really love the other directors who are involved yeah, it's a great, it, the whole, this, this, it feels like this was just when you get some projects where you have so many different people that just seem to gel together and it just creates, sometimes it just have that and it just creates this magic, which I think this film definitely has done. And I think as well, because of the way that it is filmed and everyone can have their own version, unlike a lot of found footage films, you know, where people can go, oh, I, I know what's coming up now because the film itself does its tropes over and over again. Because you have all these different directors and writers doing their own thing, it keeps it fresh and it keeps everything everything together and I think that the the 94 version you know style of it with the VHS 
you know, the first time it is kind of a VHS realistically, um, I think is really cool in the way it was filmed. But I have to ask, so talking about the way it's filmed, where, so your segment in particular, was that filmed like in a studio or was it an actual sort of, did you like look for abandoned like warehouses or how did that come about to, to get to that location? Because it's pretty cool. Yeah, and so, and I'll just say really quickly that I actually came onto this project very late. So I didn't come onto the project until this past spring. Um, David Bruckner was attached to um, to direct the wraparound and then he got called off um, of this project to do Hellraiser, um, to do the new reiteration of Hellraiser. Um, and so, you know, the producers reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to, you know, to take a look at this, the scripts for the wraparound, one that David Bruckner had written and one that Simon Baird had written. And um, both of whom, you know, they would say this themselves, they were not quite um, all the way kind of fleshed out. It really was about just a kind of a general, these, these bursts of action that would happen, you know, in these kind of interstitial moments between the shorts. And I really wanted to try to make something that was um, its own story, you know? And, um, but I definitely was looking for um, a warehouse, a big space that, you know, from the outside, literally physically from the outside of the building could, could seem like, um, a perfect kind of, um, super drug lab or something like this, but that, but that inside could, um, would feel like an underground, like video production, you know, studio. And honestly, that's exactly what we got. We actually shot, except for Timo's section that, that was shot in Jakarta, um, all the other sections were shot in Toronto. And so the place that we that we used is um, a part of a series of warehouses that I think that, that the people who own those warehouses think of them as like prop warehouses or even a kind of a soundstage. But really, it's like um, they're kind of junk magnets and they're kind of, they're, I mean, there was this, I loved shooting in this location, but to say that it was organized or I would never say it was organized. I mean, having said that, <laughs> having said that, there really was a replica of the Oval Office in one area. There really were three full-size airplanes in the building. There really were a whole section that was just like rows and rows of church pews. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. There was like endless tube televisions, endless, you know, piles of mannequins. You know, I mean, it was really a kind of an incredible um, found production design, you know? Uh, and so, uh, and we shot there, I mean, it was a five day shoot and we stayed there the, you know, we stayed in this building the whole time and really tried to make it seem, um, you know, both a kind of alive with a certain sort of, um, the, the kind of RGB color, you know, so we, mm-hmm. a lot of it really is this RGB color. I really wanted to try and make it meta, like it's a television within a television within a television, <laughs> um, but I also, you know, wanted it to feel like it was just this endless kind of labyrinth of, um, of you know, TV monitors and kind of static signals and um, production props where, you know, at any moment, you know, one might trip over a, you know, a dismembered body, etc. Um, but it was very fun to shoot in that location. Yeah. That's insane that I, I mean, I think that's a, that's a find right there. That's crazy. I did. I actually thought, I guess from the look, I'm like, oh, wow, they brought all this in. But to know that that was there and then you guys staged, oh my gosh, that's that's so cool. (laughs) I mean, there was stuff that we brought in, but they're literally, you know, in the section kind of at the beginning where they find Tape Town Tom and he's kind of sitting on this couch in what looks like a jail cell. I mean, there was a whole replica of those, yeah, of like a jail cells in this that were built in this space. 
and place things like that just kind of would go on and on. I mean, it was like a, it was like, it was a fun house really. Awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So when you then, um, because you knew you were doing that wraparound, um, do you then film this continuously and edit? Or do you actually just, you know, did you film in sections and then knowing how it was going to um, integrate into the rest of the project? I mean, the way that it was broken down was um, to really think about the, um, the short sections that would come, you know, between the other shorts you know <laughs> and um i mean we sort of we we shot it like a short film you know so we shot it thinking of it being continuous okay but that but that it would you know then you would um leave the leave that locate leave that space with the leave those people in that space and then move into one of the shorts and then kind of like return to them and come back and we actually you know i think in service to the other shorts um you know, the, the, the beginning that I wrote and shot for the, for Holy Hell got cut off as well as the end. So there's, um, there's a beginning and and an end that um, we wrote and shot that, you know, the producers just thought maybe kind of slowed everything down. I mean, I have a tendency in my own films to, I don't know, do a lot of um, contextualizing, you know, Mm -hmm. of, of the kind of um, horror or of the gore. And I get that, 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 that's, that, you know, entering, entering a world like VHS where maybe people, the, the fans are really expecting like less context, more, you know, more gore, mm-hmm. like let's get to the action, you know? Um, but yeah, we shot it as though it was like, was a, a kind of a continuous, um, a continuous short. And talking about shooting then, was it, so was this filmed over uh, COVID then? Was that um, the case? And was and how did that really, Im- do you know, did that have much, well, I'm sure it did, but what impact did that sort of have on, on the set itself and working there? Well, on the set itself, I mean, once we started shooting, I mean, obviously we were all, you know, masked on set and, um, you know, distanced on set as, as much as we could. There was a limitation to how many people could actually be, you know, both actors and crew like in the room together. Um, and um, I had to go, not unlike, you know, the other directors, I had to go to, um, to Canada two weeks early to quarantine for 14 days. So I quarantined for 14 days and then we prepped for six days and then shot for five days, you know, so that, so it was sort of, um, you know, a kind of extraordinary. Um, but also when I was in Toronto, Ontario, the whole of Ontario was in shelter in place. Um, which meant that a lot of shops were closed. So, you know, the, the hair and makeup team that were looking for blood that you could put in someone's eye, normally they would go to, you know, that makeup shop and just go get it. But that makeup shop was closed because it's not thought of as con- of essential. So everything had to be shipped, you know, and it, even including like socks and undershirts, things that you might go into like a big box store to get, but the big box stores had pulled, literally had pulled everything off of the shelves that wasn't like food or pharmaceuticals, you know? Um, I mean, I would think that socks and undershirts are for some, for some people are essential. Um, (laughs) But so it was, so, I mean, everything did manage to arrive on time. And, um, and then once we started shooting the entire cast and crew actually bubbled up in the same hotel, you know, just so that like, and we were obviously we were getting tested every other day. Mm Um, but it was like that, that precaution that you just sort of decide that like, nobody gets to go home and, you know, potentially expose themselves to COVID and then come back. Mm. And, you know, so, um, yeah, that was interesting, but so it was like film camp on some level. Ah, (laughs) So 
Well, thinking about um, also kind of the warehouse too, and I I remember certain scenes, but were you? It felt like there were some Easter eggs in your segment that kind of led to to others. Especially, I can certainly think of um, the the crosses and the terror. Um, were there any other? I mean, I, I enjoyed that, and I was like, I wonder if. <laughs> Yeah, so we so the, when I actually got attached to this project, Chloe had already um, shot Storm Drain, so that was already in post production, and Ryan and Simon were actually getting ready to go directly into production. So by the time that I um, started prepping for Holy Hell, I had access to those three shorts, and so we brought in. Oh. Um, there's a coffin that refers to Empty Wake. There's a coffin in mine. There's right the the wooden crosses from Terror, and then on all of the television monitors that are in holy hell the little channel six logo from chloe's section are in are all, all on those monitors so that was like you know that was working with um the uh, production designer justin rao in toronto where i was like i want to try to incorporate you know the other the other projects so that it also becomes a kind of a meta in the sense that you think oh this this is where the other this is where the other you know projects were conceived or or made or something like that. I mean, then there's some other, you know, without kind of infringing on copyright, we tried to plant some Easter eggs that that have to do more with like 1994 and certain events that we <laughs> remember from 1994 that we know because they were shot on, you know, like prosumer cameras, like OJ's Bronco Chase, Nancy Kerrigan getting hit in the knee by, you know, Tanya Harding's ex-husband. Um, the uh, Branch Davidian, you know, fires in Waco, Texas, um kurt cobain's you know memorial i mean it was there was a lot that happened in 1994 mm -hmm. that we have a cultural memory about i mean in the states in particular yes. because it was shot with amateur video you know and that was released you know so some of that stuff i mean it's like you just have a blip of it or it's there but it had to get blurred out for copyright but there's a lot of 1994 you know amateur video in there also that's that's a kind of easter egg for that period of time that's amazing. I'm, so cool. I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch some of that. I I caught a couple of those, but how, oh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was it was such a yeah a cool set, and again, it keeps you looking. And I thought what was really cool about this, especially as um a wraparound, because I feel like the the previous ones, or oh, they've all been good. That you know you've kind of it's kind of led straight to the videos, and you're not really sh and you sort of find out what's going on. Whereas here you're straight into that place, and there's bodies everywhere, and you're like what. The, you know it's not just starting off slow um you're like oh my and the eyes like, I remember watching that for the first time and thinking like and it takes a lot to like make me go oh but those mm -hmm. like the, the way that those eyes had been like pulled out and that's a mm -hmm. question I had had because we've seen in other ones that that some of the videotapes in previous films have made the people kill themselves now from your perspective was that similar here or were these victims of people actually physically pulling those eyes out well, I mean, I feel like that's part of what, what sort of ended up being kind of cut out, you know? So there's some context to the eye gouging that just mm -hmm. sort of like, um, you know, maybe was like too much story and not enough action. So, so I, I, I wanted to write something um, where, uh, I mean, and this was also from my perspective, a little bit of like a, an ode to, to David Cronenberg's Videodrome, um, you know, in the sense of, uh, you know, that the, and even, you know, the kind of the sort of voice in the warehouse says something like the signal is salvation. You know, there's this sense of, of, um, of the, that the kind of drug that they, 
that they are looking for is actually the the kind of analog video signal that becomes hypnotic or like the more I mean my idea was like that um that you that it could be a combination right of someone sort of like watching so much tv that they actually have to pull their own eyes out in order to stop watching or that that's like that someone else taking their you know that the sort of cult leader the only way to to sort of pull this person off of the drug that is television is to sort of is to remove their eyes and um in in the iteration that i wrote that i wrote and that i shot there's actually a, a, you know an ending where all of those bodies all those women in, in white suits holding camcorders kind of stand up so there so there's kind of this like that they aren't really dead that it's like tv zombies you know like the ultimate kind of couch potato um <laughs> sort of a thing wow. but i get it i mean it was like you know, I, I, um, I tried to do something that was sort of like maybe too ambitious for a wraparound, but, um, but I think it's all ultimately, you know, like in service to kind of like keeping the flow going and keep getting people like back to the, you know, back to the shorts. That's, wow, that's, that's so, cool. so cool. That sounds creepy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I probably would have had a jolt. Oh my God. <laughs> so, and this is going to be, um, uh, well, kind of a bit spoilery then and I'm hoping people have already seen the film but I, I loved the end and I'm just curious um as the rest of the team um were being taken out was it really the two women taking them out or were there other did they have help because it kind of felt I I mean obviously I you see the one where like nope he's not here kind of thing I'm like oh okay but I wasn't sure if it was them with the rest of the team or I think it was those two women that took everybody out, you know, and that was also, you know, I inherited that cast, you know, so when I was attached, those actors were already cast, but those two characters of Nash and Petro were not the final girls, you know? Oh. And so, you know, when I inherited this cast and I saw these two women, you know, that were the SWAT team, I was like, well, I'm going to make them the final girls and I'm going to make them the kind of cult leaders and I'm going to make them sort of like the most, you know, vicious of the, of the killers, because they are also, they all, they, and I think this is, you can tell, but they are physically small women mm-hmm. and the other, the other, you know, the, their colleagues who are the actors who are playing the rest of the SWAT team are like gigantic men, you know? So yeah. I mm-hmm. just thought like, God, I really want to, I really want to write this story where what seems impossible, like these two kind of small statured women you know, but they have these skills to sort of like take out the entire team, um, you know, just felt really interesting to me. And those were, those were kind of funny conversations with the, with the, um, with the producers as well, you know, like, well, if they took out, you know, when would they have had time to take out Spivey's eyes or (laughs) when, you know, and I was just like, they're cult, they're in a cult, you know I mean? It's like, they're, they're crazy maniacal women, you know, like, let's kind of like suspend some, you know, um, some disbelief and just believe that that you know these these uh evil cult leaders have the ability you know that they're that they're small but mighty and um yeah i liked the idea that they were that it was the two of them but you know that there that there could be um you know there could be others in the building you know because i think there's some suggestion on the radio conversation about like i don't think we're alone here (laughs) you know but i didn't you know it was like you try not to explain too much, but to also not make it confusing. Sure. Um, and I think that sometimes in, in horror, I mean, you know, I think we all, or from my perspective, I hate it when there's something really fantastical that happens in a horror movie, but you're still like, 
what, who, how did that happen? That's totally impossible for that to happen. Or when did that, you know, um, I like for, I like for even the most kind of fantastical otherworldly moments to sort of, to, to be grounded in like the logic of the mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. But I think in a film like this, where you really want the action to be kind of fast paced, sometimes like, you know, what you don't want is to have a moment, you know, where people stop and are kind of like, and it all becomes very expository, you know, where people, yeah. a SWAT team who's afraid and raiding the building, you know, what's unrealistic and annoying would, would, you know, is for them to sort of stop and be like, okay, let me, let me try and explain this to everyone you know, who's, <laughs> who's just joining in. Um, but yeah, I like the idea that it was like these two, these two small women, you know, who have, I mean, there's their SWAT officers. So they have some you know, they have some skills, some tactical skills, but, True. you know, com combined with kind of, um, you know, evil cult tendencies, it just sort of like um, it, their, their, their skills have, have amped up to the point where they can, they can um, secure, you know, large men very easily and, um, you know, stealthily sort of gouge eyes out without, without getting too much blood on their outfits. Which is pretty cool. Well, actually, piggybacking off that, then how did it? How was it for the actors? And did they enjoy that? I mean, it looked like they enjoyed doing that, and it looked like a lot of fun. How was it for them? Did they have a lot of fun doing that? That whole storyline towards the end as well. Yeah, and I think especially um, Kimmy Choi, who plays um, who plays uh, Petro, who sort of like um, delivers the final blow. I will say, you know, I think I mean she had never done anything like that, and. Um, it was, you know, she had a blast doing that. I mean, that was really a practical moment too, you know, where it was like a combination of, you know, the DP sort of like, you, you know, holding the camera in a certain way and, and her, you know, um, making it seem as though she was sort of like doing the attack. And then the, the makeup team, you know, splattering her with blood, which with each new blow, I mean, she, and everybody else behind the camera just covered in, in <laughs> raincoats, you know what I mean? Like to sort of like, yeah. keep from, um, but it was, um, it was gnarly, you know, but, but she, I think had a lot of fun doing it. And I think in general that she and um, Nicolette Pierce who played Nash, you know, I, I think they appreciated kind of getting suited up in those SWAT outfits, which actually probably the combination of the, of the clothing and then the kind of the vests and the, you, you know, the boots and everything probably weighed more than they actually weighed as a human. I mean, it was like really, it was really heavy on, on them, but um, you know, I mean, I think it's, I think it was fun for them to, you know, to play those parts and, and ultimately also to, to sort of like, you know, be the, you know, be the final girls. I thought that that was, you know, that they really appreciated that. But, and like I said, that was not, that was not how the, how the other two Bruckner and, and Barrett scripts, you know, had them ending up. That I mean, it was it was a fun ending. I I really enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoyed the movie, and I also do appreciate because um, I like the um, just the diversity in the writing and directing. Because yes, uh, I mean, props to also Chloe for the Hail Ratma that I just cannot stop seeing on the internet, and I love it. But um, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. We loved VHS ninety four, yes, and I'm so happy that it's the success that it's receiving is well-deserved. Um, so again, I just want to say thank you for sitting down with us. Yeah, thank you. This was, this was rad. And I'm really, you know, I'm very happy that you liked it. I still would have had a conversation if you were like, okay, first of all, we hated VHS 94, but let's talk about it anyway. <laughs> it's, it's 
it's, it's much it's much more fun to talk about to talk with people who like who liked the project so thank you so much no no thank you it's been brilliant you have been listening to the horror hour see you next time